0: everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Vera. And I'm Liz. And we're doing something a little bit different on a couple of fronts today. So we did already kind of um, break the seal on revisiting characters we've done before mm-hmm. with Ms. Marvel. And now with She-Hulk Attorney of Law out on Disney+, Plus, we decided to revisit She-Hulk. But... We didn't do the next volume after the one we already covered. Instead, and I wish I could remember who sent me these. If you're listening, please let me know in the comments that it was you so I can thank you at a later date. I have a terrible memory. But someone sent me actually the first eight issues of The Sensational She-Hulk from 1989. Uh, We're only going to be looking at the first five today. But... uh, I thought this would be fun because, one, it's an earlier era of comics than we've generally dealt with. Um, and two, this is kind of where a lot of what, I, what at least I really liked about the character with, you know, sort of the more meta humor and the more comedic bent got introduced. Now, this run was um, both written and drawn by John Byrne. Uh, Bob uh, Wyachek, I might be mispronouncing that, uh, was the anchor. Glynis Oliver, the colorist, John Workman, the letterer, Bobby Chase, the editor, and Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So this is issues one through five, May through September of 1989. And the other thing that makes this different, because we haven't done this era of comics, is these are not installments of a continuing story. This is very much episodic. Um, An issue is more or less a complete story. Maybe it sets up a climax to be resolved in the, in the next one. But it's not... This was before comics were written for the trade. So, before I get into like some of the specifics of what's in there. Broadly speaking. What did you think?
1: It was fun. And the meta stuff was like amusing and fun. She was great. Um, Jen herself. And... Yeah, it was amusing. I especially the last issue was a lot of fun in terms of like poking fun at like different cartoons and shows of the era, um, and you know like the names they came up with to, for the stand-ins of of those cartoons and shows. So um, yeah, I, I I had fun with it. Um, you can't say it was one of my favorites, but it was good.
0: Yeah, I would hesitate to call it a favorite, but I will say I was. Really pleased, like it it always feels like a dangerous thing to go to anything that is humor focused that is this old, mm. like how badly aged is this humor mm-hmm. but since the vast majority of the humor is based around comics as a medium,
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: actually aged shockingly well for a humor book mm-hmm. um and of course, anyone who loves Deadpool, she hulked it at first, just saying um. But it's like, and it's right up front, the very first issue, she is directly addressing the reader, saying that if you don't buy my book, I'm going to come to your house and rip up all your X-Men. So, and the other thing that John Byrne very clearly had a lot of fun with was pulling up D-list villains for her to... Yeah,
1: the villains are kind (laughs) of ridiculous.
0: So, kind of going through the issues a little bit, the first issue deals with the Circus of Crime... Um, where She-Hulk ends up getting temporarily hypnotized and gets a makeover uh, to look uh, not green, because this was during a period when she couldn't change back into a human form. She was just permanently Mm -hmm. six foot seven and green. Mm -hmm. Um, But they they gave her a makeover and called her Glamazonia and tried to um, use her in a very (laughs) harebrained scheme to make money. Um, until she broke out of that. The next issue brought in, initially, the Toad Men, Mm -hmm. which are done as a gag on the cover, and then in the book, when they actually show up, she stops and yells at John Byrne, the writer, saying, I thought it was a cover gag. You're actually having me deal (laughs) with the Toad Men? Um, But it ends up to actually being Mysterio, Mm -hmm. which means that third issue gives us a Spider-Man appearance, Um, which on the cover is, she calls out, it's my third issue. Time for the obligatory guest star. Um, and then after that, we get, um, villain wise, we get stilt man. (laughs) Oh boy. Never stops being ridiculous. And also deals a bit with another character I'm definitely going to want to talk about.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and that's Wheezy. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I think the concept of her, of her is... Now
1: I'm thinking of the penguin in, like,
0: Toy Story. When you say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was, was his
1: name, right? It was. was he? He? Yep.
0: Um, and then the final issue... Um, they teased... In the previous issue, they teased the idea that it might be Dr. Doom. It is a doctor. Not Doom. But <laughs> it's Dr. Bong from Howard the Duck... And uh for anyone who isn't familiar with Dr. Bong, if you're thinking, "Oh, it's a pot joke." No, his head is a giant bell that he and rings, rings and to bong. to cause reshaping of reality with his mighty bong.
1: Perhaps on pot when they were creating <laughs> him. <laughs> yes. But not not a pot related villain
0: yeah. specifically. Distinctly possible. Mm-hmm. Um but like, what I, I kind of liked that the fourth wall breaks and the meta humor wasn't as one note as I thought it would be. It's not just asides to the reader. Like I said, she yells at the writer. Um, in the sex- there's
1: notes between like the writer and the illustrator in it, and like
0: yeah, it's just a lot of fun. That was in the oh, in the headmen. She deals with the headmen as well. I almost oh, forgot gosh. to say
1: yes. Wow, that speaking about like a motley crew. Yeah.
0: Um but yeah, in the second issue there starts being notes from um from the editor in chief Tom DeFalco being like because it starts with um Jen getting lent um Janet Van Dyne's uh apartment.
1: Oh yep, so she's in here too briefly. Yep,
0: she's in here briefly. Um But like it's, and it's fairly mundane. It's her getting a tour of the apartment. And Tom's like, what, what is, what is this? What are we doing? And like, there's these other notes, like, just wait for it. Just wait for it. And then there's the massive invasion of toad men. (laughs) And there's a note, Ah, not bad, not bad. But I could have used a few more toad ships. Well, take a look at the ones you got, boss. I'm not drawing this fleet again. And then a note. That is a
1: lot of toad ships.
0: And then a note from the anchor after that. If you do, I quit. (laughs) So, yeah, there's that. But then, like, if we're really going to dig into the meta, we need to talk about Wheezy.
1: Okay, go for it. Because you seem to really want to talk about that.
0: I so really want to talk about Wheezy. So, uh, Wheezy Mason mm-hmm. um, is, she is the secret. she gets introduced in issue two. She's the secretary to the lawyer that Jen is, going, is trying to get a job with. Mm-hmm. And she also, right off the bat, appears aware of the fact that she's in a comic. And, like, mm-hmm. at one point she pulls... Oh, yeah. She pulls Jen across Panel uh-huh. to, to get somewhere quicker.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And... There's a little bit of, like, busting through, like, things in the last issue, too, in the fifth issue. That was yes,
0: good. yes. She tears open the page, and you see on the other side is the ad, and then the next one is them striding across the ad uh-huh. to just jump to the next bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, the ads were amusing in this, too, by the way. That,
0: that's another very very thing we haven't schooled. we haven't dealt with, because we haven't dealt with actual issues, because they take oh, the yeah. ads out of the trades.
1: The random, like, spinja stories in the middle of it. and Yep. Which made me think of, like, Beyblades and stuff, how that was a thing for a little while. And then there was, like, the last few, like, Schwinn bikes. Man with a bike over his head.
0: Yep, Dungeons and Dragons second second edition Dungeons and Dragons. Wow. Oh boy, oh boy, that's going back. Um, but in the fourth issue, we get the full detail on Wheezy, and she is an actual Golden Age character. The Blonde Phantom mm-hmm. was a real character done back when Marvel was called Timely Comics. Oh wow! And she was retired; she stopped appearing in forty eight.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so she's much much older now and it gets explained by her it's because she wasn't appearing in comics she was living in real time as opposed to comics time (laughs) and the way she puts it she asks jennifer how old are you jennifer says i'm 31 she's like and you will be 31 for as long as you appear in comics i stopped appearing so i started aging
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And after my husband died, I was like, I need to get back into comics <laughs> again. So she inserted herself as a secretary, but in the interim from forty eight to eighty-nine, she aged in real time.
1: That's rough, man.
0: But I I
1: need to get in comics now. I'm like, mm-hmm. I know.
0: Oh, there was another gag that I really loved because when she when when Jen takes on um Stiltman, she does so in a chemise. Which,
1: I wouldn't want to like bust out of my like expensive outfits. No, it, like sense. she
0: like she gets out of her expensive, um, you know, work suit, mm-hmm. and puts that on. And but then later, Wheezy asks, "I'm really surprised there isn't even the tiniest tear in that." And. Jen goes, oh, yeah, well, uh, some things have changed since the 40s. She says, check the label on the back. And Wheezy looks at it, and on the back, instead of, like, a made-in whatever or a size tag, it says, protected by the Comics Code Authority. With the implication being they wouldn't allow her (laughs) that to tear and expose more of her body. (laughs) I... Again, I think it largely holds up because the humor is based on the medium and mm-hmm. it's not there's not nearly as much to- It's
1: not based on like the 80s sense of humor that was
0: pretty we, awful at
1: the time. Well, we, we movies.
0: Yeah, we kind of got a dose on that. So, Peek Behind the Curtain, we're we're just getting back from a vacation. And, like, during one of the nights, you know, in the hotel, just trying to unwind and fall asleep, Crocodile Dundee was on, and we just put it on. And, you know, some of it was funny, some of it was cute, but then it got to the bits where he's in New York, and it was like, oh, oh, no. Mm -hmm. There's some really badly aged humor in that movie. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. So, it's, it's funny to go from... That very harsh reminder of how badly a lot of the jokes aged mm-hmm. to something like this where the jokes are pretty timeless because they weren't topical in the first place. Yeah. And they were mostly just making fun of the very medium that that they appeared in. So, like, as long as comics remain a thing at all, mm-hmm. these jokes actually still work, I think. Yeah. I mean, how funny you find them, your mileage may vary on that. I think I get a little bit more amusement out of them. I was
1: amused, though. I, yeah. I don't think I was, like... I But, I mean, you were much more, in, like, seeped in the...
0: Yeah. I, I, I sort of have the comics. background that that is going to be tickled a bit more by this mm-hmm. than you are. But... So, like, exactly how funny you find it, that'll vary by taste. But it it... The humor, if it was ever gonna work for you back then, it'll probably still work for you now. Yeah. Did you have um, any particular highlights you wanted to bring up aside from anything that I'd mentioned?
1: Again, I really like the fifth one with like the little digs at like um, the three students and Fabra, which I, I, way back in the 80s, I would watch Mighty Mouse and stuff. <laughs> Um, cause my uncle had some like old reels of it and stuff, so I appreciated that bit, especially um
0: yeah, so Dr. Bong's whole thing is he is making television more realistic mm-hmm. because Indeed. he assumes that'll be more educational, so you have a mighty mouse pastiche where the mouse like breaks in to attack a cat, but then they turn into a realistic mouse and cat in capes. <laughs> Chasing each other, and the Three Stooges are dealing like fatal injuries to each other. Yes, um, and the and the 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 Flintstones or what?
1: Stonesteens or something like that. I think they're called. I
0: think yes, the stone the Stonesteens are you know realistic um, Neanderthals, all all hunched over. Oh, and I forgot to mention, Dr. Bong has a duck girlfriend. Because, you know, it's from Howard the Duck. So why why not?
1: Fifi. Fifi. And her, her fishnets.
0: Fifi and her fishnets and her absurd French accent. Mm-hmm.
1: So odd.
0: But yeah, they, there was clearly a lot of just fun had by everybody involved in this. And I don't... I mean the the it obviously did well enough to last for a little bit. I don't know how well this book sold. It was a bit of a it was a bit of a chance that Marvel was taking going for a full-on humor book at the time because really it, it as it was getting into the 90s everything was getting grittier and more serious and not to mention the fact that like aside from things like Disney comics like DuckTales or Donald comics or whatever yeah. Funny books had kind of packed it in, uh, you know, over the last couple of decades, along with romance and horror and all these other subgenres that weren't much of a thing anymore outside of independent and very niche titles. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a bold thing for them to take, you know, a character in a main, from a mainstream you know, publisher and a f- relatively well-known name, even if she like, wasn't a, especially a seller, Mm-hmm. but to to go this direction with her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some ways it it laid the groundwork for stuff that would be done again later with things like um, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl.
1: Mm, yep. Yeah, that one's definitely a more humorous one, which I appreciate.
0: Yeah, but I, I feel like this kind of almost was like a, a, a couple decades prior proof of concept that, yeah, we can do this kind of mm-hmm. Weirdness, and it's okay. Yeah, Um, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody who knows the history of Marvel more thoroughly than me will point to something else that did something similar before. But like, just except that I know some things, but not all things.
1: No, not acceptable.
0: I know that's a that's not easy for me to admit.
1: I know that's a big
0: admission right there. Um, The final. (laughs) I, I, I am going to mention this because, like, for the purposes of this, we only read the first five issues. I have also read the, the sixth issue, which brings in, of all things, uh, U.S. 1. And I kind of want to explain what that is just to see your reaction. Okay. So U.S. 1, I think it lasted 12 issues. Um, they knew they were getting canceled around issue 10. Mm-hmm. But it was a trucker superhero. Uh... His his name was Ulysses Solomon Archer because they decided to have his initial spell USA. Uh huh. And his initial superpower was that he had a metal plate in his head that allowed him to hear CB radio. Uh huh. But it eventually evolved into. There was, like, a uh, mysterious trucker-based villain called the Highwayman, and later on there were aliens, and there was a sort of a a Nazi-type character called Baron von Blimp. And uh, it actually ends with the lead character going into space to be an ambassador for the human race. So this
1: was its own set of comics. This was its US? own
0: U.S. One yeah. was its own comic. It lasted twelve issues, and this Sensational She-Hulk serves as a little bit of the follow-up because it picks up with uh, with him in space, and She-Hulk ends up going to space and encounters a oh bunch God. of the characters from that comic uh, <laughs> who have basically recreated their truck stop as a space station.
1: I mean, I feel like a truck stop in space would work. It makes sense, it would. actually.
0: It would. And it's run by a guy who goes by the name Papa Wheelie. So, just, I kind of love this comic, if only for picking up the dregs of not only villains, but also heroes, and be like...
1: Remember this, we, like...
0: We could wring something out of this. Hey, remember this
1: nonsense? Yeah.
0: It's like, it's the kind of stuff that most other comics would be like, we, we're not going to talk about when we did that. And She-Hulk's like, here, look, <laughs> look at what was a thing.
1: <laughs> Let's
0: air our dirty laundry. <laughs> Which again, I just kind of appreciate on principle. Yeah. Um, what did you think of her as, uh, as a character in this versus like when we saw her before?
1: That was a while ago that yeah. was I'm having trouble remembering, and then we also now have her TV counterpart. Um, I like her. I kind of like... I, I dig the, like, getting stuck in green form thing, too. Mm. It makes it a little easier.
0: Um, yeah, one of, the, one of the points in the one that we read before is that she's, she's oddly self-conscious mm-hmm. as a human... But very much not as She-Hulk.
1: Mm-hmm. She seems pretty comfortable with it and yelling at the writers and everything. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I suppose it's worth mentioning because at time of recording, the first episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law has come out. And we've seen it. Uh-huh. Did you want to drop any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think Tatiana's doing a great job as it. Um, I enjoy her banter <coughs> with Bruce. Um...
0: They, they they gave them a really good uh, borderline antagonistic dynamic like is that loving antagonism you get with family relationships sometimes
1: um there's a little bit of like talking to the camera and stuff which i appreciate cuz now that we've read this i i get that a lot of a lot of it was set up with the first one it, well, so i, I don't it, yeah. i don't know i don't have a Form fully formed opinion on it yet because I don't know what direction it's going in. So I'm
0: I really like. I normally complain when these things that are released weekly drop more than one episodes on the premiere because it just makes my job harder because it eats up more of my time. Uh-huh. But here, I actually really would have appreciated if they dropped the first two episodes so that we would have the setup episode and then an episode to actually get a feel of what the show will actually be mm-hmm. going forward. Um, so I, I am a little bit in the same boat, uh, as you would that, where, like, I like her, I don't have an opinion on the show yet, because we haven't really gotten to what the show's going to be. I am kind of hoping that the fourth wall breaks evolve, mm-hmm. and it doesn't just begin and end with little asides to the, to the viewers. Like, that's a solid way to start, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to see it build.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. Again, we're so... At the beginning at this point, so we'll know further in. Maybe, like, by the next time, when we record the next episode, we'll say a little more about it.
0: Yeah, we could, like, we could follow up on that. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought these were good fun. Yeah, they were fun. So, thank you to whoever it was who sent me these, who (laughs) I cannot remember. I'm sorry, I, like... I'm I'm We mean. are
1: we are definitely recovering from vacation. I'm like, "Oh, I need so much caffeine and everything." So.
0: The, the, yeah, there is there is a bit of that going on as well.
1: And it's Monday morning when we're recording this, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. So, um we will take a quick break um for uh we'll do a commercial for I don't know, something. Mm-hmm. You'll find out in a few seconds, and then we'll be back with listener feedback. Mm -hmm. a world on fire an all-star squadron podcast join your hosts billy d and herman as we take a deep dive into the seminal DC comic series created by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. We'll be covering the series issue by issue, spotlighting our favorite characters, and
1: talking about the historical tie-ins as well.
0: So join us every month in A World on Fire and All-Star Squadron podcast.
1: Coming in December 2020 to a podcatcher near you.
0: Hey, and we are back. Last episode, we talked about Katie the Cat Sitter, and uh, we had a couple of responses from that. First one from Tim Price, who said, I looked up a little bit on Katie the Cat Sitter and thought, that sounds kind of fun. Maybe I'll buy it one day. But then you both started describing the book, and I changed to, oh, heck yes. Kindle purchase now. Thank you very much. Cats? Check. Superheroes? Check. Puns? Check. I don't know when I'll get to it, but it will be soon. Thanks for the great find. My kids should like this book too, but they doggedly, pun not intended, but excellent happenstance, read books they find themselves and rarely give my recommendations a second look. That's like half the issue I have, trying to get my kid to read stuff. Trying to get her to step outside of her comfort zone of the series she likes, one of which she has read all of already, um, is not easy in the first place, but she vehemently resists recommendations from other people. I could um, see that with her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. When I eventually get a hard copy, the cats will probably lure them in and that'll hook them. Now it's fishing terms. What am I doing? Excellent episodes, <laughs> my punchers. Thank you, Tim, for your mixed uh, animal metaphors comment. Yes.
1: Uh, it was a good book. I was just thinking that. I was like, it was not what I was expecting. I was thinking it was going to be. A little more like that one that we read about the like reporter back in the seventies, and I was like,, eh, it'll be about that level, but it was much more clever and fun
0: and ridiculous and i was ridi- not I was not expecting it to be ridiculous, but it's ridiculous
1: it is- yeah, those cats are really ridiculous, and it it did not take itself seriously, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. I think we honestly, I think a lot of those. Like, comics for kids need to take themselves a little less seriously. There's a lot of angst that doesn't need to be there, and it was nice not having it be, like, angst-ridden, you know, drama, friend drama nonsense. Yeah,
0: I'm inclined. Like, I'm not saying there's no place for that, but yeah, I I am inclined to agree.
1: Um, So our next comment is from Lizanne Oswald. Hi Liz, hi Vera, impressive podcast, most impressive. This seems like a fun enough story. The artwork is not to my taste, but it fits the story. Um, And then she talks about, um, a little bit about what happens in the story in terms of how um, she liked the jokes, um, but she could see how they were entertaining and talks a little bit about the plant part where she can't keep the p- plants um so she can relate to that. I I am not the greatest with plants either. I if I stick them outside they do much better.
0: Yeah, that's And forget yeah.
1: about them. They seem to thrive better for me.
0: Similarly, I need plants that you 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 know, you plant maybe you water a bit when they're first there, but after a while they just take care of themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I do well with her- hearty, uh, herbs, pretty
0: much, so. Well, that's why mint has taken over your lawn.
1: Well, that wasn't me. That was more my landlady, so. She, she planned it a lot, but. I, I have some basil that's doing well. Basil, basil tends to.
0: Basil, basil can hold up to a bit, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so then Liz also talks about action force number seven, and the main character there, Pandora, which also has an action figure line, um, and so, if you want to learn more about that, you can read Liz Ann's comments. Um, so yeah, all
0: right. Fi- final comment came from Brian Linton, a book about a highly skilled uh, clouder of cats. I had to look up. I had to look that one up. Is that is that the collective noun for cats? A clouder. I
1: might look into that too now. Huh.
0: That's all I needed to know. And then you throw in superheroes, villains, and a young teenager trying to earn some money for summer camp. Now that's graphic novel gold. I may even be able to convince my wife to read this one, which probably doesn't mean much to you since you don't know her, but that would be a big deal. I'll take your word for it, Brian. Also, you may not recall, but several episodes ago, you recommended the Owl House streaming series to me. Well, my daughter and I finally had the chance to watch the first two seasons on Disney Plus, and we fell completely in love with it. Yay! That makes me happy. I need to
1: finish watching
0: it. So thank you for the recommendation. We are happy to learn that the series has been renewed for a third season. Kind of disappointed to find out it will be the Mm -hmm. final season. Well, it's also going to be a little bit wonky because it's not a season proper. They're getting, I think, three hour-long specials to wrap up the story. Oh, wow. I am way behind now. Which, like... It is disappointing, although uh, Dana Terrence, the creator, has said that, like, while she would have liked to have gotten another full season, she doesn't feel that it has hampered what they're going to do. It allows them to just focus in on the primary story stuff. And she's even, like said, you know, having to do it this way made us come up with some creative solutions we might not have thought of otherwise. So I'm, I am still excited, even though it isn't continuing as originally envisioned, because Disney sucks. which Dana Terrence herself has actually been vocally calling out, in particular the current CEO, so it makes me love her all the more because she doesn't care that he's her boss. Um, (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, it's only for a limited amount of time anyways, and she knows that, so you might as well.
0: Uh, Anyway, more disappointing than that. Sounds like Thursdays, yeah, won't run the full 19 to 20 episodes. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Apparently some big executive felt the series didn't fit the Disney brand. Yeah, the language around the cancellation was very... Carefully worded. So that it didn't clearly read as, This is too queer for our channel. But for anyone who's in that community, it's hard not to look at their justification. the And not at least... Partially see this is too queer for our channel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Anyways, I am glad that you liked it though. I, I think Owl House is delightful. And my kiddo loves it. Um thanks for another incredible episode. Well thank you, Brian. So that wraps up this one. So next month we're doing something a little bit different. We were given um a digital copy of an issue, um, sort of directly. Someone reached out to the network. Mm -hmm. asking if any of the shows would be interested in covering this, and it fits our remit. Mm -hmm. It is the first episode, uh, episode, first issue of of a comic called She Bites. Um, It is written by Hedwig Hale, and the artist is Alberto Hernandez R. So we will be taking a look at the first issue of that next month. And, yeah, I think that about wraps us up. Yep, sounds good. All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. We will see you next month. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com and you can support the network by finding Fire & Water Podcast Network on Patreon. This particular show enjoys support from Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom. And our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach. Thanks again for listening.